Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. That hymn serves as a good call to confession, honestly, as we sing of our resolution to be pure and just. I've changed the verse that I'm using, not Romans 6. I'm going to turn to Exodus 30 instead. Exodus 30, verse 17. Hear God's word call us to confess our sins. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. Thus far the reading of God's word. Based on this text, the Jews developed a practice where every time they go to synagogue, even today, or to temple back then, they would have a mikvah, they call it, much like our baptismal font. And they'd dip their hands in the water, touch it to their head, their heart, and their feet. And at the temple, they had an actual pool with about two feet of water, and you'd wade into it and do the same. Reach down, take the water, put it on your head, your heart, your feet. Because you have to be clean to go into God's presence. Clean in your thoughts, in your desires, in your walk with God. This is why we confess our sins every time we begin worship. Only later would we learn as God's people that what really cleans us is not a bowl of water, but the blood of Jesus. So let us seek God's cleansing for our lives at the cross. Let's take up our Bibles again and turn to Acts chapter 4. And you continue in our series in Acts for the time being. Acts 4, we'll read most of the chapter. We read into the first four verses last time, so we're going to start at verse 5 and read to verse 31. Remember, the apostles Peter and John had been arrested and put in prison overnight because they had been preaching and had healed the lame man. Hear God's infallible word. Acts 4, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, 
what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak of the word of God with boldness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. A few years back, there was a website in Great Britain that carried an advertisement supporting marriage as one man and one woman. And some anonymous people um, protested and wrote into the Advertising Standards Authority. Britain apparently has an Advertising Standards Authority. And they summoned the author to answer for his hate speech for supporting marriage as a man and a one man, one woman. Oh, and don't mention it publicly they told them that we're making you do this. Welcome to Britain in these times. There's opposition to the truth of God in many places. In Laos, two pastors are arrested for unauthorized worship, for involvement in evangelism. Uh, you'll see another example of that from Pakistan in the prayer list in the bulletin today. There's opposition to the gospel, to the church, to Jesus, and it happens all over the world. The state officially opposes Christ in Mali, Kenya, Nigeria, Burma, Iran, Kazakhstan, China, North Korea, Egypt, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Indonesia, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, the list goes on and on. But state policy isn't the only problem or even the biggest one. There is opposition to the gospel in the hearts of people in every land. And that's something we see today loud and clear in Acts chapter 4. Although the apostles are opposed, they preach Jesus boldly. And they pray for continued boldness. That's the quick summary of this text today. So 
uh, two sections of the, of the text, the church proclaiming the gospel in despite opposition, and then once they're released, you have the second uh, section, verse 23 on, the church gathers and prays for obedience. So let's walk through the text. We'll start right at verse 5. Uh, the church proclaims the gospel here. They have, are uh, questioned. And notice who's questioning them. If you run over this too fast, you might not catch on to what's happening here. And Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. We don't know John and Alexander very much, but we know it, it also says all who were of the high priestly family. This is uh, the uh, highest of the high ruling body. This is the president of the Sanhedrin. This is... This is the, the Speaker of the House, the President at the White House, and the Supreme Court all rolled into one. And they're all gathered together to question Peter and John. It's quite uh, striking uh, what's happening here. And their question, uh, being the ones in charge, is, by what authority did you do this? <laughs> so they want to know, by what authority? Here you have fulfilled what Jesus said would happen in Luke 21. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Jesus predicted this would happen. And they even asked the same question that they asked Jesus when he drove out the money changers. Remember the money changers, they were there in the temple uh, uh, by the permission, with the endorsement of these very men. And Jesus uh, drives them out and they ask him, by what authority do you do this? Same question. Notice also that there's a bit of scorn in the question. Uh, the Greek repeats the word you at the end of the question. By what power have you done this? You. <laughs> it's, it's just given emphasis. It's, that's the way you, you put something in bold when you don't have type like, like they had. They just say the word again. Uh, but the whole point there is, who are you? to be here doing things, drawing attention to yourself. We're in charge here. You worship and then go back to Galilee. So the question is a rather intimidating one. But Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, note that, says, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined for healing a crippled man, then let it be known to all of you, verse 10, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. This is, uh, I think it's the third time in, in three chapters, uh, both, all three speeches, starting in chapter 2 and then 3 and then 4 as well. All four ta three times, Peter says, whom you crucified. You know who Jesus was. You killed him. God raised him back to life. And he always puts that in contrast because that points out, that makes it very obvious to everyone Oh, we did something that God didn't want done, apparently. Right? We were against God's, God's will there. Uh, so Peter uh, makes that point. Note that they don't defend themselves, and they don't backtrack from saying things that they know the leaders won't like. Uh, that's part of the boldness going on here. Right? You know, the old cliche, speaking truth to power. That's exactly what they're doing here. You have all the power gathered in one room, and Peter is telling them, you crucify Jesus. You're going against God's ways. So God, he basically is saying then, as, as he preaches the resurrection, he's saying, God overruled your judgment of Jesus. God vetoed your crucifixion. 
He undid it. And so that's what, that's what he's showing you in the healing of this man. And, and so he's calling them to repentance. Verse 11 is fascinating. He quotes Psalm 118. Uh, Jesus does this as well, I believe, at the triumphal entry. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. This often gets lost in the translation um, when it says the, the one that the, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, the builders we're talking about there aren't really the, the actual construction workers of the temple. The, the builders are the leaders of the nation, the ones who have authorized and are directing this building project. And the builders, the leaders, that's the, that's the guy, that's John and Alexander and Annas and Caiaphas. They're the builders. So again, Peter not only says, you crucify Jesus right to their face, but he quotes scripture at them and says, that's you guys, and you did that. The, the, the stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone of the whole operation. So now not only are they at cross purposes with God, they're also at cross purposes with their, their pet project of building this temple, this nation. And, and, you know, they're the leaders of the nation. They take pride that it's, it's been, been, it, they're doing it well. And God comes to them in Peter and says, you just messed up the whole thing. So uh, a strong note of conviction Peter gives to them here. So because God raised Jesus and has shown him to be the Messiah, there's no other name, verse 12, by which we approach the God of Abraham now. No other name. Uh, and we'll come back to that uh, later on in the application. The leaders respond, verse 13 and 14. First of all, they notice that they're uneducated, untrained men. Uh, this is the same group, this Sanhedrin, that condemned Jesus uh, just seven weeks ago. How daunting would that be? Think of that. Peter and John know this. This is why they had their doors locked on Resurrection Day evening for fear of the Jews. You could as easily say for fear of Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. That's who they were afraid of. And now here they stand before them. It would kind of like, I mean, put yourself in this situation. It would be like hearing on the news that the, the Congress and the White House have just officially outlawed Christianity. It's, it's now illegal to be a Christian. And then the same day, you get in the mail an invitation to the White House for dinner with the president. Huh. Okay. That, and this is why we read from Daniel 6. Daniel faced the same situation. His king made it illegal for Daniel to pray to God. So boldness here means forthrightness with leaders who you usually tiptoe around and who you're pretty sure are against you. So that's what is going on. They notice, these leaders, that they are untrained. Uh, it's not that they're ignorant or illiterate. That's not the point. When it says unlettered, as some of the translations say, that just means they're not trained in the known schools. They don't have the academic credentials. Uh, it's not that they can't read and write at all. Uh, they notice, too, that they've been with Jesus. They recognize the pattern of Jesus here. And they're amazed how Jesus taught with authority, the, the Gospels tell us. And so they're seeing the same thing in Peter and John. Because they have the Spirit of Christ. That's why. Right? Peter denies Jesus. He runs away before. They lock the doors on Resurrection Day. But when the Spirit comes upon them, they become like Christ. 
and they, they're completely different kinds of people. They know they've been with Jesus. They can see it. And there's also something else to note about that. The, the, leaders, um, the leaders are the ones who are endorsing the, the, the typical school. And they notice that these men weren't part of that track at all. Right? There's a lot of pride in there, in the assumption that if, if we didn't teach them, if they didn't go to our schools, then they can't be much good. Right? If I don't know them, I should be suspicious. If I don't correct them, they're going to go off the rails. It's, it's a common trait, uh, fault of leadership, especially, to get proud about that and think that you've got to do it all. But no, here uh, from Galilee comes this fisherman uh, who convicts and rebukes. And the healed man stands here too, by the way. I'm not sure how that goes. If he was in jail with them overnight, did they, arre- did they imprison the guy who was healed? Or, or is, does he just join them in the morning? We don't, don't know. But he, there he is. So the leaders uh, talk about it. Well, we can't deny the miracle, they say. Uh, it, also, it's quite clear they're not going to acknowledge the miracle or spread it around. They don't want that to happen either. Right? So you, already you have this suppressing of the truth going on. Right? We don't want it to spread. But they don't try to deny the truth of the Christ's resurrection either, it seems. But they don't want to spread that around either. Right? So don't speak in the name of Jesus is, is what they come up with. And then here you have two common tactics that are still at, at play in the world today. Whenever you try to suppress or deny the truth, one thing you'll do is you'll make threats and accusations back. You'll project accusations that you're actually doing back on the other person. The best defense is a good offense, they say. So you go on the attack and, and you, you, you talk about uh, all the mistakes that are supposedly in the Bible or how God as Father would be an abusive kind of setup, and so on. Threats and accusations. And the second common tactic is to just ignore the truth. Just, just ignore it. Don't do anything with it. A week ago or so, I watched the documentary, What is a Woman?, by Matt Walsh, and I got listening to him a little bit again. And I realized as I was listening, yeah, the, you don't see this documentary anywhere. No one in the mainstream media will even review it. They, they will not talk about it because they're trying to suppress the truth. So there you have two common tactics, threats and accusations, or simply ignore. And, that, and they're trying to do both here. They're, they threaten Peter and John and say, don't talk about him anymore. And they're just ignoring the truth that they crucified Jesus, that he's risen and reigning now. So that's what they do. Peter's rejoinder, verse 19, is to point out the contrast. Hey, you're asking us to do something that God has told us to do. (laughs) So you judge that one. Should we listen to you or to God? What do you think? We have to speak, verse 20. Literally, it's we cannot not speak. English doesn't like double negatives. The Greek doesn't care so much. We we cannot not speak. Obeying you is not going to be possible for us. They, They make it very clear. Uh, speaking straight to the, the high priests uh, and, his, uh, and, and the other rulers. So uh, they release them uh, because of the popularity, right? Verse 21, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. They're really constrained about what they can do because it, it seems the leaders would have punished them further if the people weren't so jubilant over the miracle. And notice how weird that is. 
<laughs> the leaders are unfazed by it, but a healing that brings God-glorifying joy to all the people causes the leaders consternation and a problem. Again, they're obviously at cross-purposes with God's will. Uh, so uh, then um, Luke, the author of Acts in verse 22, uh, accentuates the miracle again. The man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And if you look back to verse 2 again, you remember the man lame from birth. So the man's been lame all of his life for at least 40 years. It's an astonishing miracle. Well, uh, after this, the church gathers. Verse 23 is the, the beginning of the second section of the text. When they were released, they went to their friends. There's a group, I think it's the Quakers. Some of the Quakers call themselves the Friends. I don't know if they get that from this verse or not. They, they may. Uh, but obviously, they're going to the church. And it, it puts it in the language of friends. I find that interesting. We are friends. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. So they report the events. It's important to hear reports from the greater church and to pray in response. That's what they're doing here. They, they get out of jail. The church gathers. Tell us about it. Let's pray. That's what we should do. Uh, that points me to the prayer list in the bulletin. In your, uh, I would encourage you to use this. You know, take a physical bulletin home every week from church and put it in your Bible or by your, by your family dinner table and use this prayer list. It's not meant just for the people who are praying to, to be guided by. It's, it's meant for all of us as a resource. Hey, here are things happening that are important that we should be praying about. And notice, too, that they simply gather for encouragement. They get together. I find it fascinating. Peter and John get out of jail and the church gathers around them. And they pray. Verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together. Sovereign Lord. And the, the adjective there is important, right? The, the way you pray, I did this today in the prayers of the church. I don't know if you notice. Creator God. Heavenly Father. You can use all kinds of titles in prayer. So which one you choose ought to be based on what's going on, on what you're going to pray for, right? So the, the apostles, the Peter and John, they realize we need to remember God's sovereignty in this moment. As we've just been let out of jail but told not to preach Jesus. We need to remember that God is the one in control, not Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander or anyone else. That's one thing. God has all power, not earthly rulers. Maybe they're remembering the uh, Great Commission at that point. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So, the very next thing they do is they quote scripture. And when you pray, it's always good to pray scripture. Even when you're reading through your Bible, it's good to pause and pray. And not just read it for the mental comprehension, but to pray it to God. It works very well with the Psalms, other places too. So they quote here, Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? Why did they quote this? Well, because the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. Talk about a relevant passage, right? The, the rulers were literally gathered together, questioning them against Jesus. So it, it's perfect. Psalm 2 is considered here and applied. They, they make sense of getting arrested and threatened by going to the word. 
right? Life makes sense when you put yourself in this story. This is your story. And life makes sense when you see yourself in it. So that's what they're doing here. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord, against his anointed. And then they point not to their own story first, but to Jesus, Jesus first. Verse 27. In this city, they were gathered together, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever they wanted to your servant, to Jesus. So they don't think about their own story first. They think about Jesus, what happened to him. And it's the same thing. The Gentiles and the Jews conspired together to crucify Jesus. Now you have the same kind of thing. You've got all the top rulers of Israel gathered together opposing Jesus. Same story. So, uh, uh, verse 27, it says, your servant Jesus. That's interesting uh, word there in the Greek that can mean either servant or son Uh, so that's kind of cool because it means both right that Jesus is God's servant of course he's also God's son so uh, now they're gathered against us verse 29 and now Lord look upon their threats that's always a good prayer to pray God see what they're doing David does this in the Psalms all the time about his enemies Uh, it's very helpful for us to to think along those lines of the Psalms and of this verse 29, that when we're thinking about what's happening in our country, in our uh, our culture wars today, the first thing, the main thing we need to be doing is saying to God, God, look at what they're doing. That's primary. So that's what uh, Peter and John do. Look upon their threats. And and in some sense, well, they also ask for boldness. Uh, speak your word with boldness. That word is repeated several times in this chapter. They pray for boldness. In other words, help us to ignore their threats. Is basically what they're asking for. Right? You handle that, Lord. They've threatened us, but we're going to keep doing what you told us to do. I think one thing that also means is, uh, some advice for us is, don't obsess over their threats. I think that's important. We, we tend to do that in, in our political life today. But that's going to mess you up if you obsess over their threats. Don't define your life by other people's rebellion against God. That, that's going to take you down the wrong path. That we define ourselves by what God calls us to do. So boldness is more about ignoring those threats and those things going on than it is about obsessing over them. We just continue to do what God calls us to do. And verse 30, interestingly, they also pray that God would continue to do more miracles. That's interesting. Grant more signs and wonders. Your power in us to heal so that the gospel can advance further. The boldness is also coming with a, you know, when I say ignore their threats, that's not a head in the sand kind of thing based on the very next verse, right? They're wanting more miracles. They're wanting more attention so that they can preach Jesus more, so that the gospel can advance further. So uh, the answer, verse 31, uh, comes right away. They pray the place in which they're gathered together is shaken, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, So you have several uh, outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, not just in chapter 2. Here's another one. So uh, let's apply this for uh, a brief moment today. First of all, verse 12 is is a key verse 
in this chapter and in all of Scripture. We need to maintain that there is one name given to all of humanity by which we can be saved. Jesus is the only Savior God has given to mankind. When we say that, we're going to be isolated, marginalized, and threatened for not allowing that God will accept sincere Muslims or Buddhists who do not acknowledge Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But there is no other way except for Jesus to God's favor. So, one name under heaven. Uh, Second, the truth, uh, this comes amidst uh, opposition. Uh, People outside of Christ are blinded. This is why we read from 1 Corinthians 2. It says the natural man cannot accept the things of God. Cannot. Until the spirit of God that works in them, uh, people cannot and will not understand, and so they will oppose. They convince themselves that they have it all figured out. The Sadducees, the high priests, they thought they already had the truth. We have Moses, we have the temple, we're just fine. But they lived a precarious existence. They had to compromise deeply with Rome. They were at Rome's bidding much of the time. And people today pretend the same. They pretend they have the answers to their problems. But it's a house of cards just ready to collapse. I think COVID showed us this again. Uh, Putting your trust in science or in political leaders doesn't get you very far when it really counts. And that was just unveiled to the whole world. It's like, wow, we really don't have this all figured out. But again, what's, what's the tactic that's used? Either threaten or ignore. And today it seems people are ignoring uh, this, uh, this truth. We don't have life figured out. We need the Lord's grace. There's little faith in our culture that life has any meaning at all anymore. And we have to declare that there is one way of salvation in Jesus. To people who think they don't need salvation. Or people who pretend that they have already found it somewhere else. So, when you're faced with opposition, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted, Galatians 6, 1 says. Maybe you are way off base, and you should be opposed. When you're not infallibly filled with the Holy Spirit as the apostles were, and it's written down in Scripture, that's something to consider. We have to be able to evaluate our own hearts, our words, our deeds. Am I doing the right thing? Maybe I need to change before I can be a faithful witness to Christ. But once you've sorted that out, don't be daunted, intimidated, or threatened. Jesus says it in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. We have to come to terms with that, that we're going to be witnesses for Christ. That, that is your Lord's prediction and your Lord's command. You will be my witnesses. So, then we also have the the fun uh, question here of when we have to disobey authority. The short answer is, like Peter and John do here, we must disobey authority when they require us to sin against God. And that's what Peter and John do. It's by God's providence that Jesus was crucified, that the church today is persecuted, that our society celebrates what the word condemns. We have, we're in the middle of Pride Month, after all. I don't understand how God's providence can ordain such things. But it's important to remember that God knew all this would happen and and that their power against God is a drop in the bucket. Daniel is our model here. Not a hint of rebelliousness or defensiveness 
or self-protection, simply doing the right thing and relying on God to protect you from any unjust punishment. So that's what Peter and John do. That's what Daniel did. And when to be bold. Boldness is, is something they pray for. When to be gentle. Who's your audience? What's their history? Have they already rejected him? Are they curious? Uh, this is why we read from 1 Thessalonians 5. Warn the unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. And I always want to add right after that, and don't mix any of those up. <laughs> right? You don't want to admonish strongly, sternly, the weak. I'm going to comfort them. Right? So you have to know that what attack to take. Jesus did not snuff out a smoldering wick. He didn't crush a bruised reed, Isaiah says, when he came. But he had very strong words for those who resisted him. So if you think, now I'm not meaning that boldness and gentleness are um, polar opposites. Those aren't an either or either. <laughs> either or either. Um, no, they're not opposites. We can be both at the same time. Boldness isn't loudness. Boldness can be very quietly stating a truth that's difficult to say. Boldness isn't brash harshness. It's refusing to be cowed by intimidating opposition. Gentleness isn't weakness. It's being sensitive to the needs of the other person, and not straining their frame in severity. So we can be both at the same time, but certain occasions may call for one more than the other. In front of Israel's leaders who crucified Jesus and are still opposing him, Peter and John are bold. And that was the fitting, the right thing, the spirit-given thing. I'll close today with uh, just a note on prayer. They um, gather together after this and they pray. Uh, Brother Andrew once said that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. See, it isn't so much what happens in the public arena or in the conversation with others that counts. It's your dependence on God's grace. It's your seeking of his will and his glory to prevail. Your willingness to speak or to act when needed. And those things take shape, they take resolution in prayer. And so they continue to pray for boldness. Uh, one group that works with the persecuted church is Open Doors. And I found this quote uh, from Open Doors. They say this, The number one request from persecuted Christians, ever wondered what that is? Is not for comfort and escape. Think of that. Those who are being persecuted. I can't even finish the quote. The number one request for persecuted Christians is not for comfort and escape, but for others to stand in prayer with them. Prayer is the most important, powerful, exciting, dynamic weapon that we as Christians can wield. That's the quote from Open Doors. And it's true. And we just read this uh, as elders and deacons, too. It's, uh, Doug Wilson has a great book called Mother Kirk. And we read the chapter on the government of the church. And going through all the things that elders and deacons need to do and how to govern the church well, he's got a long section in there on the intercessory work of elders. Because if you're going to be a good parent, 
If you're going to be a good leader, then you need to be thinking about your people and praying for them. What's the quote? I don't know if I'll get it right offhand. If, if, you're, if you want to talk to men about God, then you need to be talking to God about men. And, and that's, that, that's so right. And remember that and think about that and pray for your elders and deacons too as you realize that they are praying for you. Prayer isn't preparation for the battle, it's part of the battle. So the, the apostles are opposed, but they preach Jesus boldly anyway. And they pray for continued boldness. And so should we. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, with Peter and John, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign Lord. That there are those that gather and conspire against you and against your ways. We see them on the news fairly often these days. But we know too, Lord, uh, that uh, you have worked mightily in your son, your servant, Jesus. And we look to him, for he is the savior and he is the king of all kings. We thank you for your promise that you will put down all opposition to him. And we pray for that day. Until then, Lord, we pray for boldness to be faithful witnesses to you. Give us the wisdom to know when we're talking to various people uh, how to bring them your truth and your word. Give us your Holy Spirit that we might accomplish this. All this we pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And so we sing as he taught us to pray. today, the first six verses. I want you to know, brothers, that all our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I just want to note two things on this. There's lots to consider in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 on communion, and I'll probably go through that in a short series this summer. First, notice he says, Our fathers passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses. He's writing to Corinthians, most of whom are Gentiles. And he says, Our fathers. Notice that they're that we have a new identity. Uh, don't let your old family story define you. You're adopted into a new family now. You're sitting at Christ's table now, in his father's house. You're adopted into a new family. We have the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as our fathers. And second, notice that they were eating and drinking of Christ. And so are we. The point that Paul's making here is that we're in the same position as Israel was. We're both, they were partaking of Christ, so are we at this table. We'll consider later what Paul does with that in the rest of the chapter. But for now, just take in this fact. In this sacrament, 
there is a real participation in the life of Christ. Our union with him is shown to us more clearly. So come, for all things are now ready. We invite you to the Lord's table, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.